Thank you for downloading the One Church Podsmead podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. To find out more about life at One Church, visit us online at thisisonechurch.com. So, as was said, my name's Eddie Rich. Um, just so, for those who have no idea who I am and they're just suddenly looking at somebody who's got a microphone, just to give you a little background. So, um, I work full-time for One Church. I love being a part of this network of churches, this family of churches called One Church. And uh, my responsibility is along the lines of the operational stuff. So, um, with reference to us being a charity, making sure that everything is done in line with the bureaucracy that the government asks with reference to the charity. So, it has its exciting moments and it has its other moments um, with reference to keeping up to date with legislation but an aspect of the job which is a real joy is like seeing how the family of churches are growing and also like what we get to do as a family of churches so like one of the things which has been mentioned already like uprising do you know so I've been involved in several churches um, in in my life and uh, when churches are in isolation there's some things they just cannot do But when they come together as a family, there are some things that they can do. And they are times of which can change people's lives. And so uprising is one of those. So if you can get along, then get there. If you can sign up, get there. If you you can't sign up, fake it till you make it. Just get there. It's going to be amazing. All right. But also then we've got our conference coming up. So we are one, which is when we bring all the families of churches together. So that will be the first weekend in October over in Cheltenham, which will be, again, a terrific time. So I know some of the 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 stuff that's going on behind doors to get that ready it's gonna be a great weekend so so get there other things that we get to do mission I was like looking around and there's some people of whom I've actually traveled on mission with and now to the Philippines etc like there's some things which because we're a part of a family of churches there's an opportunity to do things that we wouldn't get if we were in isolation so kind of like like get there get there be involved and be involved in all that is going on it's gonna be terrific Something else that we do as a group of churches is that we explore our series together. So the, the leadership, they, they, uh, they're listening, they're praying, they're seeking God, asking, what is it that you want to say to the church? And so what we do is, is from that, they then begin to put together a whole series. And at the moment, all across our network, the churches are looking at me, myself, and I am. It's not me, myself, and I, but me, myself, and I am. And this whole series is birthed in this passion, this desire for people to grow in their true identity in God. That we might be a family all together of whom know who they are in God. And so that's what we're going to delve into a little bit this morning. So I'm going to start with a a few verses from Romans, Romans 13, 11 to 14. Um, And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come to you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness or caressing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Right, I'm going to pray. Going to pray. Jesus, thank you so much 
that you have invited us in. Thank you that as we've been singing, your name is great. Your name is victory. Thank you that you are the one who has made a way. Thank you that we can be found in you. Our identity can be found in you. No longer looking to the left or to the right, but looking to you for our identity, our true identity and the security that that brings. So God, I pray now that as we speak, Father, will by your spirit, will your words be louder than any others this morning? By your spirit, will you take hold of and anoint what is said? Holy Spirit, will you cause something to to be conceived in people's hearts that might change their lives, even from this day? In Jesus' name, Father, will you honour the name of your Son, Jesus? In his name we ask. Amen. And Amen. Okay, so just a little bit more um, about us. Not that the preach is about me, not at all. Um, so I grew up right in the city centre of Gloucester. And um, so if you know where McDonald's is, bang opposite, there's a closed hotel called the Fleece Hotel. And that was my family's business. So I grew up within that business. And so literally, like the service industry, hospitality was everything from, from all I remember, really coming on up until I left pretty much to get married to Nicole. And, uh, and one thing that I remember, like, and, and in thinking in preparation for this, is like, actually, what was, what was a really kind of like underlying tone for that for just growing up there and the whole ethos of the place was what other people think of you is king. And so everything was done almost out of this fear with reference to, oh, but that might get taken the wrong way. I remember me and my brother getting up to some trouble and we're probably about 11 or 12 and it may have been a shock tactic from my dad, but literally he said to us, do you know, if some people weren't being kind and covering the mistake that you've just done, we would have to leave town. Like, what? And so well, what I did was at my school, it's not to brag about, at my school I had a little business to help supplement my pocket money. And so that business was I was shoplift in town and I had a whole little link of stuff going on that me and my brother used to go do and we got caught. And, uh, and anyway, that's what that was. And, um, but anyway, so I remember this like, conversation with my dad, but just all the time. And even in my dad, like looking back, so he, he had like a real problem with alcohol. And when we used to like, talk to him about it, one of the issues was like, say, but it's the job that makes me have to do it. I've got to do this drinking because that's the customers. I would come home from school. I remember one time coming home from school, it must have been about 13, 14. I walked into the front gate, so bang opposite McDonald's, where that is. Walked in, the whole place was kind of like seeming derelict and a little bit odd. So I walked upstairs and I found my dad and a few of his kind of drinking pals like just out of it, completely, completely out of it. And that, so what I'd done was I just did what a 13, 14 year old lad's gonna do. And I, I walked two of the, the drunks out of the hotel and just said, look, you've got to go. I closed the front gate to the hotel, which was like the cardinal sin. That never, ever happened. And then I carried my dad upstairs, put him onto his bed, and just waited for somebody else to come, for somebody else, another member of staff. But like, and when I would talk to my dad afterwards, he would kind of like apologize to us, but just say, it's the business. The business does it. And just this insecurity was so kind of like, over him completely that he couldn't make his own kind of decision and and I thought I grew up relatively like unaffected by that I thought I'd kind of come through and there's lots of stories so you know I don't kind of dwell on them but there's loads and loads of stories that me and my brother um, kind of went through growing up in that environment but actually my first job or well, second job actually was um, my first one was this business I told you about <laughs> and uh, my second job was working for a recruitment agency 
the um, head office is in town, still there, and I was in the support services part of that. Now, one of the joys of that place was that the MD and the chief exec would come to Gloucester, and I would see them quite often, and I actually had a good rapport with them. And one of them, Nick, real good man, um, would just be trying to, like now I recognise he was trying to mentor me and trying to develop me. So he was like building me up. And he said, oh, why don't you come in one of the um, sales strategy meetings? In fact, I think it was a franchise strategy meeting. So I said, ooh. And like suddenly one of those highs where like you've got more confidence going through your veins and you've got blood because you're kind of like thinking, this is amazing. They'll just wait till they hear who I am. And I kind of like, I kind of went into this meeting and now Nick wasn't there. He didn't tell me that. He wasn't there. Neither was Andrew, the, 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 group, the group chief exec. He wasn't there either. But all the sales bods and the regional managers were there. So I was sat there and I was ready, I was semi-prepped. And, and really, my kind of take, my view on the sales team was that they liked to coast it a little bit. Like the business was successful, but they'd never really try anything a little bit different. And people who know us know us, I, I try to think a little bit differently. So I kind of sat down, they gave their presentation about their strategy going forwards. So I just put my hand up and said, oh, I'm just thinking about this. Would this be a good thing to do? Like, because it sounds like the door's ajar for us to begin to do something over here and over there. And in my mind, if the door's ajar, it's open. So let's just go for it. And, uh, and one of them, I won't tell you his name, and uh, he just said, Ed, it is really nice having you here. But I feel like we are depriving a village of their idiot. And like, all of that confidence just went. Like I could make an appeal now even, like there's tears. And, uh, but, but like all of that confidence just went in that moment. And what I recognised then was this dormant insecurity, this hand-me-down from my dad was so present in me that, that when Nick then put other stuff in front of me, said, why don't you think about this? I would like graciously decline. Because suddenly this insecurity just was, was running riot inside of me. And you know, I would like to say, oh, do you know what, right? I kind of got amazingly healed and da 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 da. And, uh, and uh, it would have been a celebration if that had happened. But, but what happened was um, actually it never really got dealt with whilst I was there. And so when I left Javiah, when I got married, like God's done an amazing thing over time. But I sometimes think about what was missed in that place because of insecurity stealing it from me, because of a hand-me-down that I'd taken on. The Bible, I love it, it's so full of stories that inspire us and set us up. And they're stories that are real because they're stories about people that have battled insecurities. They're stories of which help us set us up to say, how do I overcome these things? And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to do a, a quick kind of character study on one of the guys within scripture. And this guy is a little bit of a tragic story because the truth is insecurity steals a great future from him. But it's set for us to be a challenge to say why we need to deal with insecurity. Why when we look in the mirror we don't see our insecurities, but why we need to train ourselves to see what Christ has put on us. Even as we've just read in Romans, let's clothe ourselves with Christ. So when you look at yourself in the mirror, what is it you see that you're dressed in? Are you clothed in Christ 
or are you clothed in insecurities? So what I'm going to do is we're going to do a very quick little um, character study on Saul. And we're going to start in 1 Samuel 9. And what we're going to do is just cover a couple of verses. Now, are there any fans of Poldark in here? Oh, crumbs. That's like, that's just like you're confessing something dreadful there or something. Okay, so my wife likes Poldark. I'm not particularly a fan. And uh, she was watching it the other night and I kind of came in during the little summary part of Poldark. You know what I mean? When it's like, if, if you're a fan of 24, there's a better program, and it says previously on 24, and it shows you the stories. Well, like, I watched this little kind of summary on, on kind of Poldark, and like, so like Poldark, he's, he's in London at one point, Demelza's in London at one point, and suddenly Demelza's got the sea in front of her, didn't think the sea was in London, and then suddenly like they're kissing each other, then Demelza's kissing somebody else, then, then he's kissing somebody else, so like, I have no idea what's going on. We're going to do a little bit of that on Saul. All right, so you have to bear with us because I try and fill the gaps really quickly. But I would encourage you, if you're taking notes or if you kind of can remember this, then go home and read these couple of chapters within 1 Samuel 9 and look at Saul and say, God, teach me, instruct me through this man. Psalm 32.8 says, the psalm says that the Spirit of God will teach you and instruct you. He will counsel you. So when you read it, ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. So... 1 Samuel 9, verse 1, we're first introduced to Saul, and it's up on screen. It says this, if I move slightly out of the way. Uh, there was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zerah, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphiath of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as you could find anywhere. What a great little line to have said about someone um, in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. He's like proper tall, Sam. In fact, Troy, stand up. Right, I'm average. That's Saul. Right, literally a head taller than anybody else. And like, I wonder whether that played on his insecurities. Like very visible, but also his dad being a man of standing. Like my dad, I know like our family history, when my granddad died, they were going to put a memorial on in the cathedral. That's the standing of which he had in the city. My dad has none of that standing. And, and like, I don't mean that in a really bad way about my dad, but, but literally that intimidation from one generation to the next can be so real and so crippling. And maybe Saul had that. We carry on and we pick up a little story that basically uh, Saul's dad's donkeys go missing. It's amazing what's in the Bible. So anyway, he goes and is going to have a look for these donkeys. But God is in the donkeys going missing. Okay, so let's just read the next couple of verses. So verses five and six. When they reached the district of Zuth, Saul said to the servant who was with him to go have a look for the donkeys. Come, let's go back or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, look, in this town, there's a man of God. It's good to have somebody with you that directs you to God. So this servant says, look, in this town there is a man of God. He is a highly respected and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. So they go on in. They go on into this town. There's a little bit of a conversation about shall we, shall we, what gifts shall we take, all that kind of stuff. You can read it within those next couple of verses. But ultimately they go on in up to the town and we carry on and we pick it up at verse 14. They went up to the town, and as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming towards them on his way to the high place. Now the day before, this is where we see God's involved with the missing donkeys, 
The day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, when I read this, I always kind of put on that kind of thing, hey, about this time tomorrow. It's like God kind of doing a little kind of like little tinker whisper. Hey, 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 guess what? Guess what? This is all part of the plan. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. And so then they have this whole kind of conversation. It develops and Samuel doesn't tell him everything at first. But then we pick up again a few verses later. Um, it says, then Samuel took a flask of oil, of olive oil, poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb. And then he just goes on and on and on. And I'd really recommend you read like 1 Samuel 10 because it is an amazing adventure what Saul goes on. And like we all have these highs and lows. Trust me, this is one of those amazing highs. And everything that Samuel said to Saul happens. In fact, when we read it in verse 9, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. So Samuel literally like reads his diary before Saul even had a clue what was in his diary. And just says to him, all of this is going to happen. So you think, what an amazing springboard to launch into what God's got for him. Like this man of God comes to him and says, hey, God has seen all of this and he's got a plan for you. And the plan is you're going to be king. It's just incredible. But sadly, Saul has this insecurity within him that is just lying dormant. So a couple of weeks later, well, in fact, a week later or so, when he's going to get presented as king to the whole nation, we read these couple of verses. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribe, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. So he's saying, we're going to pick a king. And he shows that God is involved, so they're doing it by lots. I love this. I love this how God works. Because he's saying, like Samuel knows who's going to be picked. But he's saying, we'll do it all by lot. We'll just make this completely fair. Let's do it by lot. So they start taking lots. And the tribe of Benjamin was taken. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan. And Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they asked God, well, where is this man? They inquired of the Lord further. Has the man come yet? Has he not arrived? And the Lord said, yes, he's hidden himself amongst the supplies. All right. Again, here he is. He's just had this amazing adventure. God has proved himself completely faithful. And then he comes a week later, just a week, just a few days. He comes again to be presented, to be made public. And what's he's doing? He's hiding amongst the supplies. Another translation says he's hiding amongst the baggage. And they go, they grab him and they bring him out of the baggage. The sadness is he doesn't come away from his baggage. He carries his baggage with him. So he comes out of that place. But these insecurities, this baggage is all within him. The issue for Saul was never the baggage he was hiding amongst. It was the baggage hiding in him. And his life is this 
is this terrific adventure of highs and then lows of which like make you want to cry when you read it. Like just um, some of the highs and lows. So we've just read, read that one and now this kind of low where he's hidden amongst the baggage. He goes out straight from there and, and has a terrific victory, a great high. And yet at the same time, there's other lows that are coming along. Um, if we read the next little point, so he said, bring me the burnt off. Oh, so, so basically, we're just at this point, he's got this, he's, he's been sent for a victory. God has said, I will deliver them. Yeah. And Samuel says, go, I'll come, we'll do a sacrifice, we'll do the offering, and then victory will be yours. And it really exposes this, um, this weakness within Saul because he goes, and the seven days wait, if we just read the verse now. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he was delayed. Samuel was just delayed. He does come eventually. So he said, bring the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. He's literally wearing an outfit that he should not wear. He's literally doing something that he is not allowed to do. But his insecurity is such, I'm seeing people scatter. I, I, I've got to do something. So he does the burnt offering. And then wouldn't you have it, verse 10, just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. And then there's these words, what have you done? And the ultimate low just then becomes this free fall down. Because here's this man of whom he's not listening to what God has said over him. He's listening to what his insecurity says over him. There's a little verse and it, it's, it's an amazing promise, but at the same time, it, it, it highlights his weakness. And it's first um, Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, verse 17, and it just says this. Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Just look at that verse for a moment. Small in his own eyes. And yet what God spoke over him was so big. His focus was on the small, not on the big. How often do we find ourselves in that place? How often do the sales regional directors say to us, you're just an idiot. And suddenly that becomes the sentence that you hear all the time. In that situation at Travai, the sales were, they were important, but they weren't key. The main person was Nick. He was the MD. And even over Nick was a guy called Andrew, the chief exec. And they would both say like really positive things, real things to grow me. But you know what? I chose to listen to what the sales guy said. And the reason why was because every day I would probably speak to the sales guys. And so every day I would have these, these, I'd have these conversations with the sales team and I'd be reminded of what he'd said over me. But actually what I needed to do was listen to what Nick had said over to me. And what we need to do is not listen to the hand-me-downs of the generation before, not listen to the hand-me-downs of what our experience is saying to us. We need to listen to what is it that God has said to you? What is it that the Bible is full of? That's why we're, we're so keen on people reading the book. Whether it's by you version on your phone or you've got one of the analogue paper ones like this. And, um, but get into it. Read the book. Because there you're going to hear the words of life over you. Yeah. 
because there's lots of people around you of whom will cement that thinking about the smallness of who you are. But the truth is, right, you are loved. The truth is, like, God has got an amazing plan and purpose for you. He considered and thought about you before the foundations of the earth. He planned for you to be involved in the matrix of his whole purpose and plan of life. He's got all sorts of things. He's got great gifts. He's got equipment for you to utilize. We're not merely accessorized in this life. God says that the Bible says that we are equipped for this life. Like, isn't it funny? Like, you look down the high street and it's all about accessorize, ex this accessory, that accessory. And people walk through life thinking that their value is attached to their accessories. And yet, it's about their life. They're equipping for life. And God, the eternal Father, has equipped us, has equipped his church for life. He says, hey, let's be clothed. Why don't you wear the clothes I've got for you rather than the small clothes of which you're looking at? Why don't you wear the clothes of Christ? Why don't you begin to take on board his identity rather than the identity of which someone has spoken over you? Like I said, I've got quite a few children and uh, two of them um, at the moment. So I'm a little bit more about me. I'm a, I'm a Liverpool fan all my life. I've been a Liverpool fan, right? To my family, something has happened to my family. A deep tragedy has occurred. And that is somebody who allegedly loves us because their family, on my wife's side, I just add, <laughs> gave them a hand-me-down Manchester United kit. It literally has a devil on it. I mean, come on, this is just not good. And so they've given him like a hand-me-down Manchester United kit. So the father loves his children. He's like going, you are not going to be in bondage to this children. So what does the father do? Well, we were in Spain a few months ago. And of course, Barcelona, Spain, wherever we went, there was Barcelona kit. My, my lad, Elijah, almost called my brother then. Um, Elijah <laughs> just saw this Barcelona kit and just loved it. So the father paid a price. So yeah, like you don't need to wear the, the hand-me-down. You can have something which has been bought for you. And so I bought him this, this Barcelona kit. So then what happened? Manchester United kit went to the youngest boy, well, the younger boy. So suddenly Theo's got the Manchester United kit. It's like, this, this will not prevail. So what did I do to him? What do to him? So basically I went online. And, uh, and I noticed that Liverpool online store, the day after they launched their brand new kits, which are like extortionate amount of money, last season kit like plummets in price. So I buy him the whole kit for £10, like £75 for the new, £10 for last. He has no idea. So it's like, yes, that's what I'm going to buy him. So now I've bought him this Liverpool kit. And this morning, I didn't prompt them to say what they were going to wear, but I just put the kits out on a chair, all right? Manchester United kit's there, but you know what? They came down, there was not even a consideration about the Manchester United kit. Because it's like, I've got one that's been bought for me. I've got a Barcelona kit, I recognize it, I love it. Elijah's looking at me smiling, it's the best kit. Theo comes down, he's got his, Liverpool, his green Liverpool kit, his favorite color green. And he comes down, he's got the shorts, he's got the socks, he's got everything. He's like going, I'm gonna wear that. There's no thinking about a hand-me-down. Yeah. There's a thinking about what is it that the father's bought for them. Yeah. I mean, they're probably not even like thinking that far ahead. They're just loving that outfit. Yeah. 
We started off with this little um, passage in Romans. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Right? Just think about this for a minute. The hour has already come. Wake up from your slumber. So like this morning, when they woke up, it's like, what do I need to do? Well, get dressed, watch a little bit of telly, etc., eat breakfast, etc. But they want to get dressed. They know for their challenge ahead of them to come out, they are going to get dressed. And so they get dressed in the outfit that the Father's got for them. And they do it because I love them. Or they've got it because I love them. And we read on. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is already over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Liverpool football kit is an armour of light. That's what I like. Put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So many Christians I talk to think, do you know what, I'm I'm forever going to be wrestling with this. This verse confronts that completely. Because it says like, Don't even think about gratifying the desires of the flesh. Clothe yourself with Christ. So for my two boys, what a great example for us. They weren't even thinking about the Manchester United kit. It didn't even come into their thoughts. Because they are obsessed with these other kits. We need to be in the Bible so much that we obsess over it. We obsess over those words over us rather than reading other statements, maybe even doctor statements or family statements or friends statements or social media statements. Let us be people of whom are obsessed with what the scriptures say about us, because then through that we are getting dressed properly. Because as we read that, we will look in the mirror and we will see what Christ has dressed us in. The band are going to come on up and we're going to sing this great song, Look to the Sun. Right, the whole challenge this morning is about looking to what Jesus has done for you. Because the Father has paid a great price in giving his son Jesus. And if you don't know the story of Jesus, it's amazing. The Father loved you so much that he sent his son so that he would die for you. Because of the insecurities and the problems and the sin of which has come to grab us, ensnare us, and and just give us a lack of hope, Jesus came and died. And because he died, all of that is now taken away. The Bible says all of it, along with its shame, was nailed to the cross. So there's no longer a statement against you. There's no longer the village idiot statement against us because it's been nailed to the cross. And so therefore, what do we do? Well, we don't look at a dead Jesus because actually he was buried, he was put in a tomb, and then three days later he comes to life again because he's got the power over life and death and he takes life and he steps out of the tomb and because he steps out of the tomb he invites you to walk there with him he invites you into the identity that he's got for you he invites you to be what's called hidden in him and so this morning my challenge as we sing think what am I looking at 
when I look in the mirror? What am I dressed in? And maybe we need to change where we're looking, what closet we're looking in to get dressed. Because if it is social media, you're never going to wear the right outfit. If it is statements from family, friends, work colleagues or whatever, you're never going to get dressed in the right thing. But if we obsess over the scriptures and we say, wow, this is what God says to me. And so I will make this decision afresh. I am going to look to the sun. Hey, let's sand and sing. See the image of love.